0: Welcome to a special encore presentation of The Abstract from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. As psychedelic research continues to make its way into mainstream medicine, recent studies demonstrate how magic mushrooms and LSD could transform the way we treat crushing mental health symptoms, as well as people's chronic pain. In this episode, how a psychedelic renaissance is refueling a healthcare revolution. Psychedelic drugs, often considered a mind-altering staple of 1960s counterculture, are making their way back into the science lab currently being studied by researchers inside some of the country's foremost medical institutions, scientists are discovering groundbreaking potential for treating issues like depression and addiction, as well as enabling radical self-acceptance. From cancer patients who say magic mushrooms help them overcome a fear of death, to how microdosing acid can work as an effective, non-addictive method of pain relief. New therapies are inciting immediate breakthroughs that some psychiatrists say typically take years to develop. No longer relegated to music festivals, raves, and college dorm rooms, psychedelics are making a comeback, slowly changing our minds about the science of changing our minds. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about new research demonstrating how a single dose of psilocybin, a compound found in magic mushrooms, can provide long-term relief for cancer patients' anxiety and depression. Based on these remarkable findings, researchers believe psilocybin therapy could one day revolutionize the way we live and die. In our second story, scientists find that a microdose of LSD can significantly increase human pain tolerance. Using doses low enough to avoid a hallucinogenic experience, researchers hope the drug could eventually serve as an alternative pain treatment to opioids, and continue to look for new ways it can fundamentally alter human sensations. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories— Up now, the groundbreaking psychedelic research that has cancer patients calling psilocybin therapy a life-changing experience.
1: We got a group of
0: psychologists together and said, like, what would be the types of breakthroughs you hope from your patients that sometimes take years or never happen? And it's like this kind of radical self-acceptance and to find meaning in life. You know, you see that and you're like, wow, like, You know, you just keep reminding yourself, like, we really are onto something here. That was Matthew Johnson, a psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins University, who co-authored a 2016 landmark trial suggesting that substantial and sustained usage of psilocybin decreases depression and anxiety in patients with life-threatening cancer. To date, three randomized controlled trials and a longitudinal follow-up show that psilocybin, the psychedelic compound found in so-called magic mushrooms, is extremely safe in clinical settings. Participants often report a radical self-acceptance and awareness that they're simply one part of a larger, more meaningful story. Dinah Bazer, a cancer patient who struggled with anxiety after her first cancer treatment, participated in a clinical trial at NYU Langone. She told Inverse about her experience
2: and put it this way. It was an amazing experience. I just felt an incredible love. And that would be so beneficial to so many people to
0: feel that. You know, it's just this therapy has such potential for helping people, not just with end of life issues, but with living issues, being able to live a truly functional life to the best of their ability. I think Anxiety disorders hold back a lot of people from their true potential. The 2016 NYU Langone study showed that 80 percent of participants no longer met criteria for depression related to cancer just one day after receiving a dose of psilocybin along with psychotherapy. Stephen Ross, a psychiatrist and researcher at NYU Langone, found a single dose of psilocybin could help people with cancer-related psychological distress, leading to immediate and sustained improvements in anxiety and depression. That was like very surprising and very moving very moving to see somebody you know terminally ill with cancer feeling like their life is over scared out of their minds and suddenly just you know be out of that terrible place I really think that this could really transform the care of cancer patients, especially dying cancer patients who are in emotional, psychological, and spiritual distress. In the 2016 trial, three out of four participants said psilocybin-assisted therapy was the singular or top five most spiritual and most meaningful experiences of their lives. One of these patients, Estelin Walkoff, was diagnosed with a rare form of incurable lymphoma. She told Inverse about the profound impact this therapy had on her life that whole experience opened me in a way again i wish i could put into words but opened me into a way that i could delve much more deeply in a spiritual direction i went and i have a very deep meditation practice now as a result of it i've been learning truth that i never 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 would have known How exactly psilocybin produces these seemingly magical effects is still a mystery to scientists. However, some researchers hypothesize psilocybin acts as a brain reset. Here's more from Matthew Johnson. Some evidence in in animal research suggests there's neuroplasticity, different forms of neuroplasticity that might be unfolding. So the ability for brain cells to make new connections with each other. There's also the theory that psilocybin disrupts the brain's default mode network. Stephen Ross explains. This area of the brain can be overactive in conditions like depression, addiction, this sort of a thing where where you sort of like overly ruminate about bad thought patterns. Psychedelics uh, appear to dismantle this network. Psilocybin assisted therapy is not something that people in the US can easily or legally Access outside of a clinical trial. The FDA considers psilocybin an illicit Schedule One drug. To convince the FDA of psilocybin's safety and efficacy, and to overturn some of the drug's restrictions, scientists need to conduct Phase Three clinical trials. Stephen Ross remains diligent. These patients are suffering. They want this treatment. But there's no way to do it, so it's just emboldened me to further take the research to the next level and see if it works, and then make it available to patients. Here to talk about psilocybin's future in the field of medicine as well as potential for treatment is Inverses Ali Patillo. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. So psychedelic research is definitely one of the more fascinating fields of study. Obviously, the deep psychological impact of LSD, mushrooms, etc., we've long known how they can take their tolls on the mind. But you were able to speak to folks who participated in the latest round of research. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the kinds of experiences they had. They all seem to fall in line with this profound existential new lease on life.
2: Yeah, so this was really, really incredible. I mean, I think it's important to note that no one's experience is the same, but there are some really striking patterns that emerge, and based on the clinical trials, the majority of participants who undergo this psilocybin-assisted therapy say it's the top or in the top five most spiritual and most meaningful experiences of their entire lives. Um, and what we see is these cancer patients report a lasting reduction in anxiety and depression. In the longest clinical trial, those reductions lasted up to five years. Patients recall watching their fear dissipate before their eyes. They recall overcoming their fear of death, and they really have the opportunity to reorient themselves to cancer. And what's interesting is that you know psilocybin is being studied to treat other issues like PTSD and alcohol use disorder. But the researchers say that this is kind of the ideal treatment. Cancer-related distress is the ideal issue for psilocybin to treat. The thing that a lot of the researchers said to me was that their patients recalled that cancer made them feel like they couldn't engage with life. And this treatment reminded them that they still could and that some of their suffering was through their own creation.
0: Wow so when you consider how effective this can be for depression anxiety etc where does psilocybin go from here especially considering by the way it's a schedule one drug in the u.s you know it's obviously not without its risks but how does it move ahead especially when you consider these kinds of roadblocks
2: yeah i mean as you correctly noted it is an illegal drug and it is absolutely not without risk because By no means is taking a psilocybin dose easy. You know, it can be extremely anxiety producing. It can be very scary. And in people who have a history of psychosis or certain mental illnesses, it can also exacerbate those symptoms. So, So researchers are really careful to screen out those patients. And according to the researchers I spoke to, in any way that you measure addiction, psilocybin is not addictive in both animals and people. And so... Right now, what the researchers really need to do is conduct these larger scale phase three clinical trials. Um, That's really the only way to kind of convince the FDA to reconsider psilocybin's safety and efficacy, especially for these cancer patients, um, and perhaps overturn some of the drug's restrictions. But these trials are extremely expensive. They take an enormous amount of time and energy, and they're difficult to get off the ground and even get approved. But despite those hurdles, a lot of the researchers I spoke to were really hopeful and they thought. This is something that could go from, you know, clinical trials into clinical practice in the next three to five years. But I think it's important to realize that, you know, when it comes to people with an advanced cancer diagnosis, they don't have years to wait. You know, they might have weeks or months. And this patient population, you know, one doctor spoke to me and said, you know, that this patient population is really facing death and the risk calculation is very different than it would be for necessarily a healthy person. There is a push to kind of give people the right to try this if they fall into certain categories and qualify if they are really um, at the end of their life and to cope with some of these crushing mental health effects.
0: Really, really important stuff. Listeners can find the full story at Inverse.com. Thanks so much, Ellie.
2: Thank you, Tanya.
0: In small doses, the effects of psychedelics can alter one's creativity or mood without the experience of a mind-altering trip. Up next, why the latest study suggests a microdose of LSD could alter a fundamental human experience, feeling pain. How could a microdose of LSD reshape how we think about treating chronic pain?
1: Some scientists have been trying to figure out how it works and whether it might have a medical benefit. And they were working on LSD for therapeutic potential. The new science
2: of psychedelics. So this morning took a low dose of a psychoactive substance. The microdosing side of
1: psychedelics. It was the most life-changing experience I've ever had. Drugs like LSD have also been the basis of some more rigorous research.
0: Relates to psychedelic science.
1: And there are now countless people who attribute positive Effects, the hallucinogenic drug known as
0: LSD is making a comeback. In 1970, psychedelics were placed into the most tightly regulated group, Schedule 1, of the Control Substances Act. However, research on the therapeutic potential of psychedelics is resurging amid a progressive slowdown to the war on drugs. Most recently, an August 2020 study in the Journal of Psychopharmacology examined the effects of microdoses of LSD in particular, suggesting small doses provided an increased pain tolerance and decreased ratings of painfulness and unpleasantness. In large doses, LSD can repair damaged neurons in the brain and reveal new ways of seeing the world. In small doses, microdoses chase the effects of the drug on creativity or mood, without the full psychedelic experience. The latest research aimed to get the dosage just right, enough to improve pain tolerance, but not enough to cause hallucinations, finding that a 20 microgram dose was enough to produce significant effects on pain. Compared to a placebo, participants could keep their hands in cold water about 20% longer and have lower ratings of pain sensation. While not without certain risks, such as a possible bad trip or unpredictable behavior, the study showed very low physiological toxicity, even at very high doses. For now, the study demonstrates that it might be possible to benefit from pain-reducing aspects without a hallucinogenic side effect. Qualities that, to some scientists, make it an attractive alternative to pharmaceutical drugs. Here to explain more is in Emma Batwell. Hey, Emma.
1: Hey, Tanya. So,
0: you know, these days we're hearing a lot about all of this exciting experimentation happening with regard to psychedelics. The idea that it can help with physical pain is just sort of the latest. So if we use this latest study as an example, how was an LSD microdose proven to be effective in tolerating pain.
1: Yeah. So this was a pretty interesting trial that was done on a bunch of college students. It's a pretty small study, 24 college students, some of whom were on LSD, a microdose of LSD. So about 20 micrograms. Others who were on a placebo had to plunge their hands into some really cold 37 degrees Fahrenheit water and basically see how long they could keep their hands in there. And if you've ever done that, that hurts a lot. So the ones who were actually on LSD were able to keep their hands in that cold water about 20% longer than those who were on the placebo. And while they had their hands in the water, they actually had lower ratings of unpleasantness and painfulness. Um, So that's actually built off of um, some past studies that were done in the 60s about pain management and LSD. And it was a pretty interesting setup there. It's one thing to be effective,
0: but I understand that it's been comparable to what opioids can do for pain, enough to even suggest it could be powerful enough to replace it. And that's significant, you know, especially when you consider the severity of the opioid crisis. Is there a sense that this could be a real hope for alternative treatment among these experts? I
1: think that the hope is certainly there. I mean, in the paper, the authors, they really do make the comparison to opioids. So they say that you know the increase in pain tolerance was comparable to what you might see in that similar experimental setup with a drug like oxycodone or morphine. And I mean, I think that also comes back down to uh, the risk for dependency, which is obviously a huge issue with opioids. And LSD traditionally doesn't have that same risk of dependency that we see with other, other drugs or, and psychedelics in general. Um, but LSD also does come with certain risks. I mean, a bad trip leads to you know unpredictable behavior. Um, it can exacerbate certain psychotic disorders if you already have them. And if you have uh, cardiovascular disease, it's really not something that's recommended. But physical dependence isn't really one of the common effects that's associated with it. Also, people can become tolerant to LSD over time. So you need a higher dose to get the same effects. But I think the appeal of it in context with opioids is the fact that it doesn't seem to have that same dependency issue. So how
0: does it all come together and work? You know, how is the LSD working with our brain so that pain becomes manageable?
1: Yeah, the paper doesn't really go into that specifically, but the author and I talked over a couple of ideas that he had and he sort of goes into them in the paper. But one of them is the idea that, you know, LSD sort of promotes this self-transcendence. So it's sometimes like a breakthrough experience is sort of the term for DMT specifically, but it feels like entering another reality. There's sort of a loss of your own like sense of self. And the idea behind that is like, well, if you have sort of, you're not, preoccupied with your sense of self, how are you going to feel pain in your body? Uh, That is actually not as profound as that feels. That's not really the explanation he favors. The other ones have more to do with like tangible biological effects. So one of them is that microdosing was linked to an increase in patient blood pressure. And there've been other studies showing that when blood pressure is higher, pain tolerance seems to be a little bit higher too. That might work for acute pain, but not necessarily something like chronic pain, which doesn't come from like a pinprick. That's something that originates in your body. And the third explanation has, to do with LSD's effect on serotonin receptors that are present throughout the entire uh, brain body and spinal cord. So, that's the idea that the stimulation of those receptors would sort of block the transduction of a pain signal to your brain. Um, But there's really scant research on that one. So, it could be sort of any combination of those three things. It could be none of them. It could be all of them. But those are the directions that they're headed.
0: Getting back to that limited research, because, you know, you see how there is so much potential and how it does manage to work so well in terms of our body chemistry and just how it all comes together and works. Um, It's still an illicit drug. I'm wondering if you got a sense of how big a barrier that's proven to be.
1: I, I think that there is sort of a really interesting story when it comes to research on the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. So there was quite a bit of interest in that prior to 1970, I would say. And then sort of the war on drugs and the scheduling of, of psychedelics, it's in the most tightly regulated groups that's the schedule one drug, sort of resulted in this dry up of the research on it. And now, and I think a lot of people have written about this. There's sort of a a renewed interest in the therapeutic potential of those drugs. So that's why these authors specifically um, wanted to look into the idea that was posed in that 1964 study. And you you could imagine that if there was a different regulatory landscape in place, we might have actually had answers to this sooner. But that said, it's not just because there's a lot of interest, it doesn't mean that there aren't risks too. So I think that the fact that it's picked up again as a research topic is good and interesting and we'll see a ton more we already have seen a ton more research on psychedelics than you would have expected you know 50 years ago so I think we are headed in the right direction like there's enthusiasm but perhaps not over enthusiasm
0: very good Emma Betwell thanks so much yeah thanks Tanya Head to inverse.com to read about the latest research in psychedelic science. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.